Narble. And I'm Chloe. And you're listening to Very Junior Doctors. A podcast made for students by students. You're listening to season two. Welcome back to our next episode, everyone. Um, Today we've got another speciality episode. um, Talking all things about medical school, locum work and life as a clinical skills tutor. Um, So today we have Dr Callum Aldi with us. Um, so if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hello, uh, I'm Callum. Um, I'm currently a clinical skills tutor for Exeter University in Truro. And as you've already alluded to, um, I work as a locum on the side to keep my clinical practice in check, as it were. Uh, today, like with all our speciality episodes, we'd just like to ask you a couple of questions on your progression, really, from med school to where you are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my first question is, how did you find medical school? How did I find medical school? Uh, well, medical school for me was a bit odd. I went to London um, a lot, but actually the way that the curriculum was and the way that my placements turned out, I didn't actually spend too much time in London itself. I spent actually a lot of my placements, much like you are, Chloe, sort of um, as you're at Exeter, you're spending actually first uh three uh, first two uh, of your three years are away from Exeter itself which is sort of similar to how it turned out for me I spent a lot of time on placement in Tunbridge Wells and Kent and Hastings and Eastbourne um doing peripheral placements uh but some of it was by choice actually because I wanted to sort of get out of the hubbub of London and the busy hospitals and go to quieter district generals where you're going to see all of your sort of generic stuff that you'll be managing as an F1 rather than the highly specialised at King's. So King's is a liver centre. So they, they deal a lot with the high end um, liver transplants, um, but uh, patients and things like that. Um, but in terms of how my course was structured, it was very much the first two years were preclinical uh, and they were solely lecture based. Um, with the odd GP placement to go and ask um, ask a patient whether their cat was called Tiddles or not. Um, and then in third year, it moved very much away from the lecture based. And that was basically, you were purely on clinical placement from there. And you had your firms of six people um, that you basically stuck with for the whole year through blocks and you had a parent ward um, that you basically stayed on and then every so often you would go and see respiratory clinic or something like that but it was very much you were grounded in one area for six to eight weeks um, and you would spend a lot of time integrating yourself into that team they have admittedly I think Kings they changed the curriculum halfway through the time I was there and I think it's become a lot more like the Exeter um, curriculum in the fact that it's this new blended learning where you start off your clinical placements a lot earlier. But certainly at the start of my time there, it was very much first and second year was you learn the core concepts before being unleashed upon patients. How did you find that being very academic to start with and then going into placements? Um, despite being a clinical tutor, the last thing I've described myself as a, is a, a learned academic Um I'm, I'm doing a master's um, in education at the moment, and I can tell you now there's nothing that I find more dull than reading research papers. Honestly, unless it's something that I have a real keen interest in, I get through the abstract and I am just turning off. <laughs> unless it's something that is incredibly interesting. 
um, that I have a key interest in that area or field, um, I find it a real drag to actually get into that. Um, I much prefer doing the practical um, applied core concepts. So I can sort of appreciate um, why looking back, but at the time when it was just lecture after lecture, God, it was a drag. It was only sort of in fifth year when you actually thought, mm, I can see actually why that actually really worked as a way of teaching us because uh, I don't know, it'd, it'd be good to get your insight because it's different. It's this, the interesting thing about medical education is nobody actually really knows how to do it right <laughs> because mm. you can't really do um, randomised control trials because if you split your year down the middle and teach you guys in one way in, and then if you teach the other half in another way, and the, t the side that inevitably does better, well, the side that's done worse can then say, well, hang on a minute, that's not fair. And then you've got a whole ethics board review that you need to go through. So it just gets shot down from the start. So a lot of yeah. medical education is based upon theories and concepts that haven't really <laughs> been like problem-based learning uh, was first come up with in um, Harvard Business School. So it wasn't medical at all. It's just the concept that was come up in business school and they thought people seem to enjoy this more than our lecture-based teaching at the moment. And then it's just been adopted by several other facets of um, education and it's gone from there. I think PBL is something that's really good to start off mm -hmm. with. But I think for me, I think when I was applying, I mostly looked at unis that did do like PBL and case mm -hmm. training with like the placement yeah. and clinical contact. Mm -hmm. I'm a very hands-on person. And yeah, yeah, same, same with me. Is a lot of, yeah, and actually, I, I seem to remember when I was applying to Kings, the three clinical years at that point. So that was I was applying in 2012. That was a very practical course for the time. Um, from what I remember, it was one of the reasons why I applied to them, um, because I thought that's quite a practical course. It will suit the way that I I know I learn. Um, but it just goes to show that in the intervening what nine ten years the whole field of medical education has changed to becoming a much more practical um, rather than your behaviourist didactic teaching method of this is the whatever nerve that connects to here. Yeah, exactly. And I think it comes up time after time, don't it? The situation where do you want a doctor who knows this stuff but can't communicate or can communicate mm -hmm. but knows this stuff adequately? Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't know. Extra is good, though, I think, in terms of integrating the clinical stuff really early on. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember my first week I was on placement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that was one of the best things, just throwing you in at the deep end and then mm -hmm. all good. Mm -hmm. But, but the th your theory is, is that you learn the soft skill. Like, we don't expect you to go onto placement and be able to diagnose the complex hemiplegia or whatever it is. We expect you to be able to learn how to talk to patients um, from that early stage and then the knowledge-based skills will be built upon that. The good old spiral curriculum, as it's so-called. Yeah. And that's quite nice because like, throughout the year, even like this year compared to last year, I've noticed the spiral curriculum mm -hmm. so often, especially like in anatomy and biomed. And yeah, I think it's really important that we learn how to talk properly. Mm -hmm. We start diagnosing because otherwise you're getting out of the state. But, um, but yeah, um, and just keeping on with the theme of medical school. Yeah. It's going to be a big question. So, um, and it's quite hard. So what was like the biggest thing, the most valuable thing that you was taught 
in magical school? Um, crikey, the most valuable thing that I probably learnt at medical school was I followed. So the way that the Kings, uh, it was a bit the way that the course was set up at Kings was a bit different in the fact that we had our finals in the January of um, of final year rather than in Exeter where you have it in the in the June or July of your um, your fourth year. So the last six months of our course essentially was dedicated to half of it was your elective and then half of it was essentially like a, an apprenticeship model where you stuck around with F1s. And the best thing that I probably did then um, was I literally, I didn't, a lot of people had a tendency of going to the weird and wonderful and flashy places, uh, as I was saying, the liver transplant area, things like that. Um, but probably the best thing that I did was I just stuck with the F1s and saw what they were doing um, and essentially learned the job from there and saw well what is what am i going to be doing in only like two or three months time <laughs> which at that point was still oh dear it's still a long way away <laughs> oh my word that you've still got three years left that's gonna go <laughs> let me tell you um but yeah just following them learning what that job entails because that's what you're going to be expected to do the best thing you can do as a medical student when you're following f1 is learning and this will be a personal thing to to, a, to an extent but learning the limitations of your own knowledge and ability because it can be quite often it's an f1 and it's quite a normal experience to suddenly sit, find yourself and go i am way out of my depth <laughs> But it's, that's fine. That's normal. You're not expected, as I said, to manage all the complex cases um, by yourself. Help is there for a reason. Like F1, I mean, technically in F1, you're not supposed to do anything without senior supervision. That's a bit different these days, but, but it is in your contract um, that you're supposed to have supervision. You're not fully registered with the GMC. But learning when your limitation is and when to get help or uh, things like that is a really, really key um, learning curve which i think a lot of people hit in f1 um and they really struggle to find out that's break down that social barrier of oh i don't want to seem like an idiot i don't want to seem like a, a fool and ask people for help kind of things whereas i think a lot of people most people i should say are very very happy to help out brand spanking new f1s and it's just about knowing that <laughs> that's a good lesson actually for i guess mm -hmm subject and more have you knowing your capabilities and that's such mm -hmm. like a big question as well when you go into medicine yes yeah, yeah and strengths and weaknesses so we say to our fifth years or i've been saying to our fifth years when they're doing the sim sessions with us but because you've got a whole year it's easy to sort of you know go oh well it's still a year away so i can just sort of relax into do the you know, completely because i did it as well like i'm not gonna say it's a it's a any, everybody else did it apart from me but you know the classic stand at the back of the ward round and become anonymous uh and then go to the library um he says in quotation marks at lunchtime kind of thing it's a very easy thing to fall into and i'm not saying that um if, if you're not getting valuable education objectively uh, i can completely understand why people do that um but it is if you're not the way that you can do that is like you know volunteer to write in the notes at, at ward round see develop your own style of writing a ward round entry at an early stage where somebody's going to go 
oh, that's really good, but this is another way you could do it kind of thing rather than uh, what could happen and has happened to me is you write down a ward round entry and a consultant picks it up and just puts two lines through it kind of thing and rewrites it. <laughs> so, because, uh, yeah, so it's all about medical school as well as learning to become a doctor, as it were, it's, uh, is learning how you want to be a doctor. Um, and you will develop that by being on the wards and seeing people do things that you go, that's really good. I'm going to incorporate that into my practice or um, by looking at people and going, mm, I can see where they're coming from in that respect. But that doesn't either fit my personality type or what I would be comfortable doing. Um, so I, that's something that I'll err away from doing. That's a big, big part of medical school as well. Mm. Thank, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, it's really interesting to listen to the full mm -hmm. experience and yeah, the insight. Um, just for, for time. Um, that's right. Moving on to foundation years, you've touched yeah. briefly with the shadowing. Um, so again, what was it like for you, and what kind of specialities did you do? So I went up to Aberdeen and Inverness for my foundation one and two. Um, and Aberdeen's a bit of a, because Aberdeen, you don't think, it's quite funny, actually, because I hear you guys or your colleagues in the upper years when they're applying to medical school or applying to foundation school saying, oh, I don't want to end up in Aberdeen. I don't want to end up in Aberdeen, blah, 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 blah. It's really funny because in Aberdeen, they're all there going, oh, I don't want to end up in Truro. <laughs> so, it's quite funny seeing the difference between the two, two poles of, of the United Kingdom. Um, but Aberdeen's a bit of an odd hospital because it's a tertiary trauma centre, despite the fact you would think, why is that up here? So it covers basically the whole of the north of Scotland and the um, islands. Um, as it's as the main center for that um so it does get a lot of specialist stuff coming in towards it um and yeah so i started off on acute medicine as my first job then did general surgery um then uh, a little virus came along and i was redeployed um to receive covid receiving um from that point of view then moved up to Inverness and did some care of the elderly and some more acute medicine and then finished up with some um, obs and gynae and some psychiatry up there. So that was my foundation programme, um, largely interrupted. So a lot of the things in the foundation programme at the moment were sort of put to one side or not done properly. Um, so whilst I was there because it was sort of all over the place with covid um and things like that uh so it was a bit of a different foundation experience because everything was so thrown in up in the air uh so a lot of the teaching was obviously cancelled because there was no way of delivering it because we couldn't be in a room of more than five people or whatever it was um so a lot of it was basically concentrated into single teaching days um which you would have just a day of study leave for and you would just get blitzed with education, which isn't the best way of doing it, but it was what had to be done essentially, um, rather than um, what you'll probably encounter is our F1s in um, Truro will have a weekly teaching session in the postgrad centre, essentially, and go from there. So it's a bit of a different experience um, compared to what other people had, but I got through it, or we got through it, <laughs> and we're now... Well, we're not too bad, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can imagine COVID being a disruptor. 
shall we yes, say? Yes, yeah, yeah. I was doing my exam. It was an interesting experience uh, having everything. You know, in the it was one of those things where I think I've, I've read somewhere that in the first six weeks of COVID, 600 pieces of guidance were released, um, which is no, I remember it, it was sort of like, wait, just the small things like, wait, so how are we supposed to manage an arrest now? Because it just it changed every single week. Um, like sometimes you didn't have to wear an FFP3 mask and then another time you're supposed to put a handkerchief on their face and then other times you, you were supposed to and then wear a face covering and then not wear a face. It was just it was all over the place um, in terms of guidance because things were just being pumped out at such a rate and your, your inbox, you just basically got guideline overload eventually you just gave up and you just stopped reading emails because it was because you just couldn't keep up with the amount of information that was bit and then keep up with the clinical work you were supposed to be on top of as well at least i'll now switch to my next question because i suppose that kind of experience is like a high and a low it's like a one-off experience you're not going to get it any other time really mm-hmm. um but yeah, just leading on, uh, what what was your highs and lows of foundation years? Um, the people I was working with, um, actually, to be fair, Scotland, the, the Highlands uh, of Scotland are, are just fantastic. And the people I worked with mostly were very, very good. Um, and I'm still friends with them, even despite I've moved down to Cornwall. Um, and there was a sort of, not gallows humour, but, you know, it's, well, we're here, so let's just get on with it kind of thing. Um, it's sort of sense of togetherness that was there. Um, and, yeah, I can't really off the top of my head think of a bad egg within the group um, that I was working with throughout F1 and 2. It was very nice uh, and sort of hospitable, I should say, group. Um, when we were allowed, we did meet up. I almost dropped myself in that one. <laughs> um, um, and uh, yeah, so the people that I was working with is probably the highlights of it, and uh, right up to the seniors, to be fair um, to it. So you can talk about your junior junior work colleagues, but even the seniors were very supportive uh, and understanding. And I think the thing with COVID was the fact that Unlike in other times in medicine, when you start as an F1, I remember in my first job, I had no idea what was going on, but everyone else did, um, which sort of meant that when you didn't know what was going on, there could be some tension of, oh, this is obviously what you're supposed to do. Fact with COVID is nobody knew what was going on. So everybody just sort of like, let's just figure it out together kind of thing. Um, so that, that sort of drew drew a lot of very much flattened the hierarchy of the system which was a quite a good experience and to be honest most of the places that I have worked since um, have been very much there is a hierarchy but it's not sort of the the old style patriarchal oh what the consultant says is law praise be to the doctor professor on the ward kind of thing there are places that are still like that but I think um, most places that you go to now have very much moved away from that sort of way of thinking for all the right reasons. Do you think it's going to like keep going in that kind of direction? Or I hope it does, because the thing is, is that um, that culture of um, the flat higher, well, the flatter hierarchy, which is currently now in the junior 
um, levels should continue on. There will always be people who are very much in the patriarchal way of thinking. Um, and you have those sorts of white coat ward rounds um, type things, which, I mean, you can laugh and say that that happened, but I remember at King's, um, the people who were at Guy's Hospital whilst I was there, there was a period where the medical students had to go around in white coats. So <laughs> it's not actually that long ago that the, you had the medical students in the white coats following the uh, ward round kind of things. So um, there will still be the odd person like that, but I, I do think that that sort of way of thinking is now certainly, and I hope stays that way, a thing in the past. Um, because the thing is, we're all, we're all professionals together. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, you guys have corrected me and you guys are second years and you guys are much more up to date probably with a lot of things. And you've corrected me in teaching sessions that I've had to look up and go, oh, crikey, that's changed since I was a medical student kind of thing. Um, as the That's the thing is you can get set in your ways of, oh, this is how it was done. And actually, in the last five years, things have progressed and moved on and actually you're behind in your own practice and it takes somebody junior for you to actually speak up and say, actually, that's not correct um, anymore, as long as it's done in the right way and you're not doing it as a na 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 kind of thing. Um, then that's perfectly reasonable and people should be receptive to that. Mm. I think even like as second years, just like having the exposure so like early on, mm. like we've noticed even just like with like different drugs and different like procedures. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah change so much and like we talk something but when you actually have the real life experience they're like oh no we don't use this anymore we don't do it this way and it's like yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's just changing all the time and i think there's 50 percent of what you're taught in first year is out of date by the time you're in fifth year so that's the thing that i was told um when i was at medical school and it and it just continues basically um just on basically on the advance of of, of our knowledge basically so Fair enough. Um, so yeah, going on. Um, so if you'd like to just tell us a bit about what you're currently doing, so about your locum work and how you're finding yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm currently, I, well, I'm currently working in medical education as my main job, as you're aware, mm -hmm. <laughs> with the University of Exeter down in Truro. Um, so I'm doing that three days a week. And then on the side, uh, down at Royal Cornwall Hospital, uh, I'm locuming every so often um, with my remaining days of the week, which is mainly spent um, on the intensive care unit and the enhanced perioperative care unit as well is where I've mainly spent the last few months working. Um, so, yeah, that's what I've been up to. So this is this would be the equivalent of what's now becoming a more popular thing, the so-called an F4. So you do F1 and 2. And then if you don't immediately go into training, then essentially just start adding numbers onto your F2, essentially. So my F3 was spent last year in Aberdeen as a clinical fellow in intensive care. But this year I've gone for a less clinical course um, to spend some time working in education, uh, getting my master's and locuming on the side um, as well. And how are you finding the locum work? What's it like? How am I finding locum work? Um, so... From from a personal personal life point of view, it's quite compared to how how it has been in the last three years of my work. It's actually in a way it's quite liberating because you you are effectively you're in control of your own life um, now. Like I know I'm contracted to Exeter Monday to Wednesday. That's standard, and unless I'm on leave, that is 
uh, 52 weeks of a year. Uh, I know that Monday to Wednesday, I will be, I should be in uh, Knowledge Spa or working from home um, as it will be over the summer. Um, so, but to have those four days for the rest of the week um, to essentially decide, oh, well, actually, I know that um, my partner, who's currently an F2, she's got the Thursday and Friday off, but she's also working the weekend. So I can actually work the weekend that week um, and uh, have the Thursday and Friday as a, um, as a, a essentially a weekend um, and uh, pick and choose. Actually, I'm a bit knackered because we've just had a, two weeks worth of OSCEs, which are over 12 hour days for us. Uh, so I don't actually want to do night shifts that weekend or I'll just take those four days as as, as sort of pseudo leave uh, and not take up any shifts on those four, four days, essentially. Um, it really hands you back power personally over your own life in, in a way. Like, for example, I'm going away on Wednesday for two weeks um, with some friends. Um, I can't imagine at any point in my previous uh, three years of working when I would have been able to have just casually taken two consecutive weeks off. Uh, one week off is okay, but taking two weeks off where you're not, you don't have any on calls, you don't have any nights, um, or you don't have any weekends where you can't request leave for, it's quite rare um, in a lot of specialties. Whereas because I'm in this way of working, um, it's, it's, a, it's essentially an easier way of managing your life. Yeah, I just wanted to um, wrap the episode up by saying thank you um, for telling us. My pleasure. It's been good fun. <laughs> uh, and yeah, thank you for telling us a bit about what you've been up to and your med school life mm. and that kind of stuff. And I think I got one more question to ask. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But just for like anybody listening or aspiring medics, current medics, yeah, yeah. et cetera, what would be your biggest advice? to anybody perhaps interested in teaching in medical schools or locum work? Uh, in terms of getting into education, I, I accidentally fell into education during my foundation years. I just happened to get involved with something um, and really enjoyed it. Um, so you, in a way, you almost have to get involved early. Um, you just need to try things out because it could be that I mean I perfectly understand that there are some doctors that are don't want to be and won't enjoy teaching so you if you're interested in teaching um get involved I'm sure if any of the sort of higher years um I've seen some of your colleagues in the uh, in your more senior years um sort of sometimes run revision sessions in the case bar um and do things like that so just doing simple things like that uh get feedback on it because once there's a physical copy that you've actually done something and you've got feedback for it and it holds a lot more weight in your portfolio than if you just say i did x teaching session so get feedback for any teaching that you're doing um and yeah if you are if you do think you are interested in it then there's multiple jobs so I, you don't have to do what i did which was essentially get a purely university-based job there are others like my colleagues. Um, so you had some of the clinical fellows, so like Rand and Jane, um, who are actually, they were based in, um, they are NHS employees um, who do four days clinical and one day educational, essentially. So they come and uh, offer their services to um, Exeter Medical School. And then they also spend 
um, a morning doing mini kexes with you guys from what I understand as well. So that's certainly um, that's another way of getting into education. But yeah, start off with something small, um, just by doing some 10 minute teaching with your colleagues or your peers uh, on something that you're interested in and that somebody else may not know as much about because all of your experiences in um, um, in medical school will be completely different based on what you've seen uh on different ward and different ward rounds so everybody's gonna have different um different experience and if it's something you enjoyed then you can make it more formal like i've done and then try and get some qualifications in it as well just again thank you for coming on and absolutely thank you for listening to this week's episode of very junior doctors check us out on instagram at very junior doctors and check chloe's page out at the medic map Hope to see you in our next episode.